You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. Stephen Kraft is the men's soccer coach at Bury University in Miami, where he just completed his 22nd season. He has compiled an impressive 235, 234, 125, and 38 record to make him the winningest coach in Barry history and the third winningest active coach in the Sunshine State Conference with a 637 winning percentage. Kraft has been named the Sunshine State Conference Coach of the Year four times during his tenure with the Buccaneers in 1998, 2000, 2002, and the latest coming in 2010. He's also been named the NSCAA South Region Coach of the Year, coming in back-to-back seasons during 1999 and 2000. His Berry Club won the Division II National Championship 2018 when his staff was the Staff of the Year nationally. He is the son of Hall of Fame coach Cliff McCraft, who also joined us on his own episode on the podcast today. So, Steve, welcome to Sports Connections. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. So let's start with your playing career. Were you a were you a pretty good player? I was a good player. Uh, I think that in, in a lot of ways, um, I I am who when I recruit now. I try to make sure I don't recruit Steve McCrats, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, was not, I was not emotionally ready uh, to be probably the leader that I look for. But I would say, as an athlete, there are a lot of things I could do. Uh, you know, a multi-sport athlete, but I was a good, I was a good enough athlete to probably play at a high enough level as, as my career shows, but I'm not a great enough athlete to be a standout long-term because I didn't work on my, uh, I didn't work on the background part of my game too much. I relied on my athleticism too much. Okay. So you, you're going to have to explain, I was not prepared for that answer. So you're going to have to explain why you don't recruit Steve McCraft to play for Steve McCraft. <laughs> Steve McCraft, the player, was not a growth-minded player. Uh, I spent a lot of time, unfortunately, I've had to unlearn that growth-mindedness is actually an exciting part of life. And I wanted things to be right, right away. And correction, which I still have to deal with today, and my wife would tell you if she sat sat over my shoulder on the palm tree here, she would be telling you that you still aren't working on these things, which is not true, but... Um, I think that the players that I try to recruit are ones that are willing to take even one small nugget. They may have the 90 part, 90% part of their game already secured, but it may be that, that, that last bit. And I don't know that I was necessarily prepared to, to do that and then put in the workload to enhance. Cause there was, like I said, there was a lot of things I could do. I mean, um, athletically I was able to, I was a clean player. I could have been cleaner. I was, um, strong at doing things. I mean, I could play various positions. Most of my career was as a center back, which would be today's defensive center mid, the way most of the formations are played. But I grew up as a forward, so but I didn't score cleanly. So there's always things I could do, and my touch was clean, but I could have been far better, but I did not put in the workload. So when I'm watching kids, I try to avoid, I try to avoid that. Okay. I, I have a, a good friend who's a college, retired now, but college baseball coach. And he shared this, and maybe you'll agree with this. He told his assistants to recruit ones and threes. And he said, the ones are the kids and it's baseball, the kids, you know, the, the pitchers who can throw in the mid nineties when they're in high school and, and, or the hitters who can hit at 400 feet with an effortless swing or who can go first to third on a 
short, uh, single to right, whatever. They're the kids that everybody knows. You don't have to be a recruiting expert to know that that kid's going to be really good. The threes are the kids that don't quite have that much talent, but they're willing to do whatever it takes to get on the field. They're going to be the ones that are the first ones there at practice, the last ones there after the game. When the coach tells them to work on something, they go home and they work on it, and they will do everything possible to improve. And he yeah. said, invariably, when he gets a new assistant and he gives him this, he said, well, what about the twos? He said, don't bring me any twos. He said, why not? And he said, because twos are actually threes who think they're ones. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. It's like the middle class. Yeah. It's almost better just to have one or the other and get rid of the middle class. But then if you're adding on to it, I would say that the twos are definitely necessary because I think if you can – it's like the old statement – I know the players that hate me. I know the players that love me. It's the players that are in between that I make sure don't get with the group that hate me. And, um, <laughs> you know, that, that whole quote has always rung well in my head that you're going to, you know, invariably you're going to have the, the middle class and yeah. your life actually functions on the middle class. So you you're actually have the culture. It's the guys that have already been in there for a year. It's the guys that know they're carrying on and almost going to be that final step. Yeah. They're the guys that are your backbone. So when it comes to twos that we have issues with regards to who you can polarize up to the number one. And, uh, and then we go from there. A different, different perspective. So uh, I appreciate uh, you clarifying that. All right. Now, when you played at Seattle Pacific, you played for your father. What, what was that like playing for, I mean, do you call him dad? Do you call him coach? What was that like playing for Cliff? <laughs> it depends on the day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, we, again, I think that the recruiting Steve McCrath statement goes back up. I think that there were, I, I, we spent a lot of time discussing it before I, I, before I got recruited and I still didn't quite understand. I don't think he did either. He wrote me a great letter after my career was over. I was still in my final year. I hadn't signed professionally yet, but my season was over. My eligibility was done. And he wrote me a, an incredible letter, which I still have. And he basically just said, you know, I would basically tell everybody to, to forget themselves. And I would have done exactly what I wanted to do with you. But I think he worried about what it would look like father yeah. to son. I think there are occasions on the other end mindset. If people are not familiar with it, we're, the preacher's kid. So the kid actually tries to be bad because he wants to be cool and breaks away from realistically realizing that it's actually very cool having a father as a preacher, but it's understanding how to be comfortable in your own skin yeah, and realize the freedom that you actually would have had. And so I didn't realize the freedom I would have had. And so there were difficulties or times where I called him cliff. A lot of times I called them nubs like everybody else. I very rarely the entire four years called him dad or a father, or, or, you know, I'd never used really father with him was always dad. But um, I think that, that I would have been more confident had I worked on some things as a younger person before I got there. So I think that that related to why I called him what I called him, but we were pretty comfortable in a lot of ways. I think that I could have been a far better player for him. And a lot of people told me that they said when I played in summer league teams or when I played outside, I was a totally different player, always better. I was always better than they felt that I was when I played for him, but I don't think it's, it's a him. My dad didn't coach me. Right. It's, it was a me 
Steve McGrath needs to be different here. Yeah, I would have been different everywhere else with regards to how I handled things. We're obviously releasing these on the same day in the week leading up to Father's Day. So I want to take you off the pitch here for a second. How much about who you are as a person came from your dad? A lot. I, when I was growing up, everybody said, oh, you look like your mother. You look like your mother. And as I got older, uh, I hear more and more. Well, you look like your dad, except I've got hair, which is awesome. Um, <laughs> really, really grateful for that. I don't know if I could pull off the, uh, the look that he has. He does a very good job of it. But I would say that the way I coach, and there's a lot of both my mom and my dad. I mean, incredible parents, to be, to be totally uh, honest with regards to both sides of the, the fence there. But with my dad, I think the, the joy, the humor, the, the lightheartedness, but there's a competitive juice, which my mom actually says she always blamed my dad when I would act out as a kid. And then she played for the first time as an adult. And she realized, I think he gets it from me. <laughs> but I would say that uh, for the most part, there's a lot of me by way of what my dad taught. And so I think that the way I run my own program, a lot of what I do is just the way dad did it. There's a lot I do on my own accord based on my sure. own experiences. And there's a lot of things I, I didn't appreciate, but I think that's what smart people do. I think that they take all the very good things from where they've learned and something that they don't like, they don't have to run from it. But I would say that I've just chosen not to utilize it because I don't think it works as, as well. But at the end of the day, a bulk of what I do is, and a bulk of who I am is, is my dad. And, and we'll get into coaching styles here in a second. I, I will tell you, I, you mentioned your dad's sense of humor. Uh, I met your dad when I started working for the NCAA and one of the four sport, I was in the publications department. So I was in charge of editing the rule books and, and covering championships and stuff like that. And my second week, the NCAA news comes out and it's got pictures of all the new employees like they did every, every week. And there were two of us in the publications department that started on the same day, me and a pretty blonde girl. And I pick up the phone and I'm thinking, oh, man, people are calling me. I'm all that and all this. And, and I pick up the phone. And I say, this is David. And I hear a, a, a voice on the other end. How come we got the ugly one? <laughs> and I said, excuse me. And he told me who he was. And he told me that how come, you know, soccer got stuck with me when, you know, Lori was given to given to other sports or something. And so I thought, okay, this is going to be fun. Well, we talked for a half hour and he, as we're wrapping up, he said, by the way, most people just call me number. And I said, why is that? And he said, well, and this is all on the phone. I can't see him. And he mm -hmm. said, I, I only have nubs for fingers on, I don't remember which hand it is, I guess his left hand. Left. And, left. Yeah. And there you, go. there you go. Yeah. And, and he, he says, um, all right. I said, how did that happen? And it was lawn mowing accident or something, but he, he, but he starts out, he said, well, it was an accident. And I said, well, I didn't think you'd do it on purpose. And at that point we were bonded. He knew if I was <laughs> going to give it right back to him that we would get along. And that was in uh, February of 1990. And we've been good friends ever since. So do you have, are you, do you have your dad's sense of humor? Are you likely to call up and with never meeting somebody call up and say, how come we got the ugly one? <laughs> I think that's the difference. You know, I, I, if there's a biblical imperative, um, apologies for dancing right here on the podcast, but I think my, 
I forgot to charge the, the laptop. Um, if anybody understands, uh, or at least has come across the story of David, David and Goliath, and David comes into power, and uh, David just doesn't come into power, but he's due to come into power, and Saul is the, the king, and David comes back from one of his grand battles, and the ladies are all singing, you know, Saul kills his thousands, and David kills his ten thousands, and I'd say the other way around, I think I can kill my thousands in a, in a humorous tone at a ceremony, but dad can kill his 10,000s. I mean, he's just very good. Like, I don't know that I would have the backbone. And that's one of the important things that are tied in with who we are. Like, um, is that uh, he cares very deeply and yeah. our players, our players both know that. So my players know that as well. And I, and I'm not just saying that I know that I, cause I hear that quite often. I've gotten even recent uh, letters from people and things from people that, uh, that have played for me that share the same, same voice to it. Okay. And, and he can walk into a room and absolutely just boom and throw something out. Like how come we got the ugly one? And uh, I don't have that kind of practice. I know it's a, an art and I know that you can practice it, but he definitely can throw caution to the wind and he's very good at it. And he's, no he's, he's not only good at it, but he does it in such a way that you don't get offended if you're the, if yeah. you're the ugly one, you know? Yeah. <laughs> You really are. No, you, you really are. No, David, I really want to tell you the ugly. Um, <laughs> no, I agree. Uh, he, he does a really nice job of being able to say something. And he's not that person that says something, say, like what's so important these days about if you said something about gender or a color line. There are people that say something and they're so ignorant to it. Everybody just says, we understand because you just don't get it. Yeah. But other people say it. And they lose their jobs and everything else. Dad's the guy that's in between those two. He actually understands, but he actually understands how to deliver it. And everybody just laughs and goes, that's actually healthy. Yeah. And he just does it really well. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that because I don't like being on either of those other spectrums. It's really cool to be able to say something and everybody can have a chuckle and go, I'm actually okay laughing at myself. Yeah. And yeah. he helped me do that. And yet he cares about me deeply and he's going to build me up. And that's, I think, where... It's really important, and I to be able to have that art, I I would love to to know that that is also within me, so that people would say that guy also, his son can do the same thing. That would be a phenomenal compliment. All right, I, I want to talk about your coaching. Um, how did he in, he as a coach influence you into becoming a coach? Is that something you you figured all along that you would do, or how did that happen? Uh, well. Uh, no, it wasn't him. Um, it was a girl. <laughs> I, uh, I was 12 and she was 15. I had a crush on her, but my parents had a soccer camp. And, and so I was always around the camp. I'd grown up in the camp and uh, I really wanted to be around her. And she was coaching the youngest group. So I went along to help. And uh, <laughs> it just so happened that I, my mom being an educator, my dad being a coach, it's in me to want to make somebody's life better. And so I saw these two boys and I think the difference is if I had really had this crush on her and that's all I really was there for, then this situation never would have occurred. But I noticed that these two boys were having a difficulty passing. She was doing a passing exercise and can't work with everybody while rhythms right. are going on. And there was a struggle and I just walked over and chose to help. Here's how you, here's the angle. This is what I want you to do. Maybe it wasn't that eloquent, but at any rate, I watched the kid do it. And it was a 
grand, massive smile, just the way the TV portrays it. When a kid gets it and it's a commercial, it's like light bulb moment. And uh, I've even got the goosebumps again. Like anytime I tell the story, I still get the goosebumps. But that to me sold me on, I like this. I didn't know that I wanted to be a coach until later when I was later in college. I was still coaching. I had done camps now and I'd done them on summer after summer. But now my career is looking at me. Am I going to play professional soccer forever? Like I said at the outset, you know, I didn't do enough to cultivate knowing that I could season myself and be a full-time pro mm -hmm. and make the money I needed to make. Uh, writing was on the wall. But in the meantime, I was just finishing college and took my first coaching job. And it was at that moment, I realized where my direction was going to go. Being around my dad, yes, that played a massive part in it. Yeah, but I think it's the experience of the twelve-year-old crush that became something real. And I think just because I had the wherewithal on my own accord to go and and not be told to go down and help the guys, I just went and did it. Uh, that was that was the the seal, the deal, and I didn't even realize it. Okay, talk about how you went to Barry. I remember talking to your dad about about this that you were you were an assistant under him at Seattle Pacific, and then you got the the job at Barry. I mean, you can't go much farther still within the contiguous 48 from Seattle to Miami. Just talk yeah. about that journey. And you've stayed for 22 years, so it obviously was a good move. Well, officially it's 23 years, but you were right. I've completed 22 because this is, as everybody knows, with COVID. So I have my gap year. Okay. So, uh, we, <laughs> so I've actually been here 23, but I've okay. only coached 22. So I'm going to stick with the 22. And, um, yeah, I think that, uh, I mean – it's not being funny, but I really, you know, you look at it, there's palm trees, it's warm weather. It's not Seattle. So the Seattle to Miami, I, I think the thing that really made it, made it connect for me was I used to have to make ends meet like a lot of young coaches. So I'm coaching with my dad part-time. I'm coaching high school. I'm helping with the Olympic development program and I'm doing private lessons. So I have all these things going up and uh, kind of reminds me of uh, in living color where they used to have that one skit where the guy's like you only have one job you know and it's like no i've got four you know i'm making ends meet and um and so i'm doing a training lesson and and i i'm so cold at the end of this session and my fingertips are literally white there's no blood in them and so like a hollywood movie where they start out and the credits are kind of going and and all of a sudden the radio comes on and it's just kind of background noise i've i've taken the heels of my palms of my hand to, to turn the key and the radio comes on and it goes, well, that's 30 straight days of rain in April. And I thought, I got to get out of here. <laughs> so it so happened when the job offer came up, it wasn't uh, it, it, like a movie. It would have happened the next day. But it was, I think, a couple of years when I do the math. I think it was a couple of years later, but it was time to go. And I think, too, when we were coaching, you talked about coaching earlier. I realized that I was starting to bristle under my dad, but in a healthy way. It wasn't a, a negative way. And it wasn't this. And it wasn't, well, Coach Dad has said this, and I'm going to tell the players this. You know, is always aligned with them to be. This is who Seattle Pacific is. This is what makes right. it takes takes it to to be a national champion or a national champion contender. That was always there. I could just sense this. Like I, I need to get out of the eggshell and and get my wings going and fly. So when the opportunity came up, just so happens that that this is where it was. Um. I had looked at a couple opportunities that would have been up in Pennsylvania, actually at Lehigh and Lafayette, but I had no desire to go from Seattle to snow. Now, yeah, personally, would I do it again? 
uh, Division One. Who knows? But at the time, I didn't need to worry about it. And so coming down here, I was able to create my own my own path. And uh, yeah, I've just really enjoyed a lot of things being down here. And I've created a lot of my own new relationships in the coaching world. And I think going back and tying in with that, I'm grateful for who he is as a person because in a lot of ways I was able to get um, I was able to get a lot of freedom and a lot of doors open because of who he had been. Now, from that point on, I could either win or lose those relationships on my own accord. And I'm sure that there are times where I've lost some opportunities because of possible jealousies with my dad. So at the end of the day, uh, it's all 50, 50, probably some way or another 60, 40, but being here, being at Barry, creating my own path has been really enjoyable, but yeah, it just did. People laugh about it all the time, just like you said. It's that it couldn't be farther away, unless I went to Key West and, yeah. and I had come to Bellingham, then then I would have gotten farther. But it's been good. All right, um, I was I was surprised when I asked your dad, with all the years he had coached, if he had any favorite teams. I didn't expect him to say yes, and he said yes, and then he rattled off some of them. So, you in your twenty two years, do you have any favorite teams at Barry? Yeah, it, I can see where he's coming from. Um, so we lose the national championship in 2000. We win the championship in 18. And at those finals, I had guys flying in that had either been on or attached to those early squads. So I would say that the 2000 team was incredibly solidifying for me as this is what a team is all about. They were really talented. And I wonder, I still wonder like the old proverbial. So what if they competed against each other, who would win? Right. Right. And the reality is, is that I don't know. Um, in some aspects, there was some athleticism that was undeniable in the 2000 team that we didn't have. There was some exquisite talent in the 2018 team that, the 2000 didn't have, but I really love the 2000 team with regards to the fact that they were all over the map. They had a little bit of the, the bums mindset. Like we aren't anything yet. They had a work ethic that was unquestionable. They uh, had a talent level that was hard to question. Like it was just really fun to coach that group. I've had others as well. Uh, but just in comparison of those two teams, just to say those, the 28 team, 2018 team, they were happy and they were committed. Uh, we had a, a breakout session on a bus ride home on a game that was important for us because it put us in a conference playoff. It actually allowed us to get to second place. We were all separated two, uh, two through six. We're all separated just enough that if you were number one or two in our conference, you got to buy, which gave you an extra, you know, three days, four days rest, which we really needed. Mm. We went into this game on the road and we were playing with uh, all our defenders were out. All our classic defenders were out five by injury, some just for the game, some more long-term. We had uh, a kid, our captain actually was red carded on, you know, I'll tell you, most coaches always say it was, it was wrong, but I would tell you, cause he got two yellow cards and, in the game before in our senior night. So he's actually red card on senior night. And they were both, both yellow cards, actually the kind where even I'm sure the spectators are scratching their head but anyway. So he's out. So we've lost our captain and all our defenders. So we completely changed their formation went with a four back system and all of them were midfielders. And we go on the road and we win three, nothing. 
And it was a kind of team that it's like, these guys are great. So on the bus ride home, we all of a sudden had this impromptu uh, karaoke night and everybody was doing it. And we filmed it, including the coaches got in it. It just was really, really enjoyable. And I'll tell you, that group was a, was a really enjoyable group that brought all these little pieces to the table. And I've had other teams as well. But, yeah, the, the, just using those two teams as a comparison, each for their different reasons. They were great. And I, I, I do smile upon them because they, they knew how to dig deep when it looked like we were up against it. Right. Other teams, that's probably made them not favorable is they couldn't overcome the, the holes that were being formed in the season. Cause all the seasons, all of them always had holes. Yeah. I'm going to ask you the same, another same question I asked your dad, and I'm not going to tell you if you made this list, but do you have any favorite players from your 22 <laughs> years? You'll have to listen to his episode to see if you made his list. <laughs> I'm sure I did. I'm sure I did. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I do. And again, but there's a lot of them. Yeah. Um, there's the guys that do I have to give names or is that what it's all yeah. about? Or is it if if you want to, Steve? This is this is the, the whole idea behind this yeah. this podcast is I tee up questions and I want people who watch this or listen to this to get to know the people I'm interviewing. I don't have yeah, an agenda. You you answer it however you want. Okay, I'll answer my agenda. No, uh, <laughs> no, if I uh, I think that from the very outset, I've got a kid, Dennis Luyat. He was the very first kid that I they had um, a barely, a barely in the job. And I've been flown down to work two different occasions for like 10 days. And then I go back to Seattle both times because I'm still coaching high school and I still had other things to wrap up before I could get myself back down here. So uh, I meet this kid, Dennis, who's a Trinidadian kid. And he's, um, he ends up being on my team. I end up not selecting him a year later after he's been on my team for a year, ultimately makes his way back on the team for his senior year. But it's the stuff he went through. Like you talked about if he, if he was a one and a three, he was a three in the, in the experience of what you shared, but he has been a, a tried and true solid. This kid is Barry university. Like this kid bleeds Buccaneers and, and he had hardships and he had reasons to hate me. And I guess I suppose he has reasons to love me, but at the end of the day, he's always chosen love. And, um, and so for, for that reason, he's been a favorite. Um, and I, and I have so many that I'm going to miss guys, but there's another kid, Michael Bolton, but he's not the, not he's not one. the guy on the radio either. Yeah. Uh, German guy who was a friend of a, a player that had played at Barry that I never coached, but I also got to know. And that kid acted like, I had coached him. Like that's how, how the relationship has always been down here for me being in, in Miami. But Michael comes on the team. He's been a, a big proponent of the program. And he basically, he recruited himself into this program and ended up being my assistant coach for a year for a grad assistant. When we didn't have full-time assistant coaches, he, he bleeds Buccaneer. I've got guys that um, like I've had all Americans, Alan Marcina, I think helped change the nature of Barry university because of, his ability. He's actually the pro coach for San Antonio, uh, the USL affiliate. He's the head coach. He's played professional, you know, around the world. Um, but he was a three-time All-American. And I think that he helped Barry become a danger in everybody's mind. Like, oh, you coach at Barry. Barry's such a great program. I mean, Barry wasn't a great program when I got here. Yeah. It was nothing. 
Uh, so Alan helped that. I had a Mark Anderson. Mark Anderson was actually the national player of the year. And he was phenomenal. He and all his records, he's broken every one of Alan's except one. Alan has one more point than Mark. But I think Alan, to be fair, would probably have a lot more points. But I used to keep pulling him. And he finally sat me down one time. And this is why I appreciate about Alan, because Alan was going to be um, – He's going to be straightforward, but he's kind of quiet. He finally sat me down this one time. He said, Coach, you know, you, you always pull me when I have two goals. And I, I kind of like to get a hat trick. And I realized that we were so good at the time that I didn't want scores to be run up on, on other programs. But he had an argument. So I thought, okay, fair play. And so there were times where I started letting him stay. But this is his sophomore year. But there was times his freshman year he could have really unloaded. And... Uh, so he was special. And then I've had guys like uh, James Kirkham. James basically in some aspects wasn't the smoothest of recruiting processes. And James was a joyful all the time kind of a guy. And he came and he said, he goes, you know, what's not the love about being at Barry University? And he was on my national championship team. He's the one that scored the, the equalizer. And um, the, the uh, I, think, I think there's so many players that, that uh, would have been helpful. To, to name Mark, Marco Velez is another one. Marco, I don't think you'd ever recruit a Marco Velez like that. And he was a kid that came as a walk-on and he didn't look very good in a tri training session that I saw, but he ends up coming. His parents really kind of pushed it. He comes and he's a totally different player six months later when he comes into our training camp and he is playing. And I learned, turned, learned, turned to my assistant coach. I said, if this kid's not starting day one, you shoot me. <laughs> and he ended up, he's our only he's our only MLS player, um, and he's a phenomenal player, incredible athlete, and the list goes on. I mean, I have so many guys that yeah. that I could refer to. Uh, Stephen Cosmala was our captain, the kid I referred to that got sent off, and I kicked I was about to kick him off the team the year before, and he was just a two year player, came from a junior college, didn't have a great track record. He had kind of the went here, then he ended up here, and maybe I should have known that when I recruited him, but I still did. And uh, he was not the best, he was not the best teammate nor the best person. Um, so I basically wrote him a letter for our player coach meeting and he sat down and read it. And this is in January after his first year with me. So that would have been the fall 2017. So January, 2018. And it basically says, I don't want a player like you around, but that's in so many words, but I basically was listing all the things that he's been doing and here's what I expect. And so he reads it and he basically says, you know, I had knee surgery, which I knew about over the summer, but it really got to me. And then he was complimentary to say that he's grateful how I had carried through, even though he was acting the way he was acting. I carried through with him to try to continue to coach and get him opportunities, but he should have been starting for us in the, in the fall, but he didn't. He just wasn't the player that I had recruited. And, um, so he said, I'm going to get a, another surgery to get this thing cleaned out and get it corrected. So he really didn't play for me that spring. But I told him, these are the things I need to see in your behavior. Long story short, we propelled the, the fall and he ends up, he ends up uh, playing obviously well and he's starting. And then we have a meeting. We've had, you know, maybe four or five games. My assistant coach at the time, uh, Ollie Simmons, we sit with the three co-captains but we only want one on the field we don't do the everybody's got a band and that kind of thing and uh we just basically said we we need to name one captain are you guys okay with that and so they they said yes and, and so i said it's gonna be steven and steven in in so many ways led us to the national championship he's the guy that scores the game winner 
in the national championship on the free kick. And he did a couple things over the course of the year that were leadership minded. And, um, and he didn't get always along with everybody, to be fair. This isn't one of those happy-go-lucky, everybody loves Stephen Cosmo. Yeah. But I would tell you that, that what I'm so impressed about is the growth-minded, and that's, that's not a Steve McCraft. Steve McCraft never would have made that turn based on what I know. Now, knowing who I am, would I want to make the turn? Would I have made the turn? Possibly, but nobody yeah. maybe really sat me down like that. But that's why I have, have such a flavor for him as well. And there's so many other guys too. I have so many guys that would be so easy to list. Yeah, uh, but these are just guys that are popping in my head that I think are hardship-minded guys that came through. But I've had some really blessed. Martin Lozano was one of our guys on the team. Uh, Francisco Greco. Um, there are so many guys that over the course of the history we've had were so awesome. But I'd have to really write it out. Yeah, yeah, and I didn't give you enough time to to plan on that. So we'll leave it that you list, listed a few, and there's many others that you could have listed. So nobody who didn't get mentioned is going to be offended because you just simply exactly. ran out of time. Cause I asked you the next question before you had a chance. To hear it. So we'll go exactly. with that. Talk, Steve, talk about, no more stories. Talk about the 2018 season. You told me before that you didn't win the regular season title. You didn't win the conference tournament title, but you won the national title. Talk about that season. I say it all the time, but I, I played on both coasts. Uh, I know the division two level truly like the back of my hand. And this is by far the best conference, top to bottom. It doesn't mean that we can't go out and lose to other you know, schools. It's not that. In the conference, this is the top to bottom best conference. Our schools, there are no schools that are underfunded, upper, underrepresented with the relationship of they have no ability to do anything anywhere else. They, they would do fine going somewhere else, uh, given whatever conferences are out there. Um, we're just a very healthy top to bottom 11 school conference. And so getting out of our conference is actually more difficult. Sometimes it's not that the teams like the teams we had to beat to go get to where we got and win the national championship. You still have to beat the teams are still very good. Right. But I would tell you that the crucible is the sunshine state conference. There's no question about it. And so it's very easy to not win our conference and win the national championship. Uh, you, you joined your dad, uh, and I don't know how, how rarefied the air is, but I don't imagine there's too many father-son combinations who have both won national championships. How gratifying was that to you to join him in that club? It was awesome. It really was. It, uh, I, I love to – this is the fun side of it is that, you know, both of us are 500 in national championship games, and, uh, and that's an honor as well. I mean, I'm one for – I'm one and one, and he's five and five. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but it's a, it's a really, uh, awesome Coliseum to be standing in. I mean, when you think of the great Coliseum in, in Rome, when you walk in there, you can still feel what was and to, to, to know that I'm sitting in the same Coliseum of, of a championship victory like him is something that can never be taken away as a father son. I mean, I know there, there, there's only two of us that have ever done it. So at least in, in soccer, in college soccer. Right. So that's, that's been incredible. That's, that's an, another incredible company to be keeping. Yeah. Now, what, what would you be doing if you weren't coaching? I hate that question. You know, that <laughs> I, I cause the 12 year old boy had a crush on that girl keeps getting in the way. Uh, I don't know. I know, I know this, I know that I would be working in a role where 
somebody has to get better because I was playing a part of it. I don't know that necessarily that's someone sitting there cranking out sales. I don't know that I'm making somebody better, even though their life might be better because they have a better vacuum. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think it's got to be something in an environment where I was able to teach, come alongside and help reconstruct where somebody has a difficulty that, that makes them more of who they are because they couldn't see past that, that one wall, yeah. like whatever that wall was, you know, would it be in athletics? You know, if I had to move out and you said, okay, the question relates to the fact that you can't be in athletics, then I would, I would say it's gotta be something with related to the matter of mental development. Um, even if it's business, yeah. And David, when you're doing your interviews, I realize that you do this in your interviews, but I think if you navigate this way and you have more confidence in your questions, like, oh, I didn't realize that, <laughs> then, then it would be in that, it would be in that, you know, arena. Um, if I could make you better looking, then you might not have ever gotten that phone call from my dad. Yeah, that, uh, I, that ship sailed, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that, I think that at the end of the day, it's going to be in that, in that environment somehow. But yeah. I, I, throw caution to win on that because I I've had to face that very few times, but I'm panicked when I do, because I really don't know. Yeah. I love I, what I do. I, I, I subscribe to the theory that just like pastors, just there's several professions that fit this. If you are called to coach, you have to coach. I've got a, I've got a friend who has been in college football, never been a head, head coach, but he's been an assistant coach in so many areas. And he's, he's older than I am. He's in, He's probably 63, 64 years old. And he, his, the staff he was on got fired in August one year and it was too late to get hired on anywhere. So he went and was selling used cars. Right. And the second week, the, the, the store manager comes in. He's like, okay, where's all my sales staff? They were in a conference room and Mark was teaching the salesman how to be better salesmen. He was coaching them. He was coaching right. his, yeah. his teammates. And, and he's the one that actually told me that if you're called to coach, you've got to coach. And that's really what you're saying, isn't it? Yeah, that might be the example. Maybe I end up going into used cars. I mean, I just had that experience. <laughs> I'll tell you what, it's, it's a, <laughs> it's a, that would be why it'd be difficult. I'd have to coach the, the staff how to maybe be better at what they do. But I would tell you that uh, selling the car, yeah, I'm not as good at hiding because I'm too transparent. But um, I think at the end of the day, that's exactly probably what you'd find me doing. No All right. I, I always like to wrap up uh, with these two questions for my guests. Um, first of all, let's just talk about your family. I, I know you've got a, you've got a wonderful wife. Uh, Cliff brags on her more than, than he does you uh, when I talk to him and talk about your kids as well. Yeah, he spends more time with her than, uh, than he does with me as well. Um, you know, he'll come down. He, he always says that uh, he doesn't come down for the parents. He comes down for the kids. Yeah. So which is true when we, we say we don't really care if you're here or not, just take care of our kids so we can do what we want to do. <laughs> um, but uh, I think that, you know, Katie, I'm really fortunate. We, we have this talk a lot and we just actually have this. We actually got some private time and anybody who's out there as a parent will get it. It's like just having a date night or having a date opportunity. Yeah. Sometimes can be few and far between regardless of even going to the grocery alongside. store by yourself. So yeah, we got a chance to, we were in San Clemente to see my mom, my stepdad just this last week. And she and I get a chance to go down to the pier that's just a you know a half mile away from the house. And we do it every time we get down there and we go to the fisherman's 
restaurant bar, whatever. Uh, and they have restaurant across from one. And so we are right on the pier at this table and we're just banging questions back and forth. Like, you know, where are we at? Did you expect this? And, and I've been able to say it a number of times, but I reiterated it then is that with Katie, I didn't know what I was pursuing the woman that attracted me to her by just across the room look, which literally was an across the room story, but um, with a lot more details, which I won't go into with regards to the time that we have. Um, it's clean, but it's uh, the time. Yeah. I have. But at, uh, at the end of the day, uh, it's that I didn't know the mom she was when I'm pursuing her. I didn't know her love for Christ the that would outweigh her love for me in the healthy way that that's so paramount that I continually get the blessing and the benefit of that. Um, she is growth minded and she has helped me become far better growth minded as a person, as a husband. Sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes she can't stop the coaching. She's also a coach. <laughs> so there are times I'm like, stop coaching me. Um, and she does have to dial it back, but she is a, a blessing that's bigger than I could ever tell you. And winning the national championship, one of the things I was always fearful about when I was a single coach was that I don't know if I can ever get married because marriages always blow up when you're trying to do what you're trying to do to attain this championship. And then I get married and we have our first losing. Well, we started dating. I had my first losing season. Then we get married and I have another losing season. I'm not used to that. So I thought, I don't know about this. Then I have a child and we have a losing season that follows that. And I thought, I don't know if I can do this. We win the national championship, but I have a family. And I realized that my son, Kieran, who's six now, my daughter, Sienna, who's two, uh, sorry, I was four. And then uh, my youngest, Killian, that came uh, a month before COVID. He, uh, he's just 15 months now. They're an incredible team. And I don't know that I would have done as well and enjoyed the championship as much without having my family. But Killian, Kieran is a really bright, like his mom, asks good questions. He does some things that he propels himself for. He's like my dad and he's like my wife. He just walks and goes and does stuff. And I'm like, I wouldn't find myself doing that as a kid. Sienna, she's more reserved like me. She's a beautiful girl. Uh, really, and that's not just eyes of the father. This is truly compliments from the outside. I mean, she really is. So I'm really grateful that she's, uh, all the beauty comes from her mom. And then uh, Killian. Killian is a, as my dad calls him, he's an ICBM or a torpedo because he is <laughs> nonstop. And he wants to do everything his brother and sister are doing. It's far ahead of what he's able to do. And yet he's somehow pulling things off. So I think he's just reaping the benefits of that, the wake that they've created. But they're a really fun group. They're busy. Yeah. I'm, I'm aging like you can't believe, but uh, they're busy. So yeah. They're a good group, though. I really love. I, I will tell you, in conversations I've had just with your dad, he is quite proud of them. And, and was sorry it took, took you so long to bring him grandkids, but uh, he, he loves them, loves them dearly and is proud. Well, from my side, that's for, because my sister brought the other two grandkids. So he really did have grandkids for a long time, but the yeah. McCraft name, yeah, the McCraft name was looking like it was about to die on the vine. So <laughs> fair play to that. All right. The, the, <laughs> the last thing um, that I always let people wrap up with this, what's your legacy? Okay. Now you got it. That's a hard one. Uh, I think that if I had to simplify it, if a player, any player had to say it, I mattered more to him than the wins and losses. 
and I'm, I'm definitely a wins and loss guy. Like I see everything in wins and losses. That's even in my, in our vows, our wedding vows. And the entire place erupted when I said, you know, I see it as a win-win. And it was one of the, the lines in our wedding vows. And because uh, everybody knows how competitive I am. But yeah, I think the legacy would be that someone would say he cared more about me than the wins and losses. A great way to wrap up, Steve. I, I always enjoy chatting with you. I, I haven't I haven't gotten to know you as well as I do your dad, but I'm looking forward to future days ahead when we can uh, get to know each other better. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks very much, David. I appreciate it a lot, really. And you're a good looking guy. <laughs> and you lie well. Thank you. <laughs> it's the big nose. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.